Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and when you get there, put your thumb in it and turn to Hebrews 13. We're going to be reading two verses together this morning. Three, actually. 1 Thessalonians chapter 12 and Hebrews chapter 13. And if you're able, would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? 1 Thessalonians 5. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Lord, we sang, teach us full obedience. And as we hear now a specific application of obedience to you, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would cause us to be in submission to you, to walk in true humility, and to live with one another in peace and in love. We pray, Lord, that as we hear your word, that you would give us soft hearts, ready to receive, ready to listen, and to obey. In Christ's name I pray, amen. You may be seated. We're in the middle of a six-week series on church membership, and this is the fourth week. Church membership is a biblical issue. The Bible talks about it in many places, and it's an issue that the Bible gives us a lot of information about. We saw in week one that there are a lot of specific references to membership, but there is no detailed explanation of how to become members or what exactly it entails. But we did learn that membership is the normal practice for every faithful believer. When you put your faith, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, when you turn from your sin and turn to the Lord, you are automatically, instantly, invisibly, and passively made a member of the universal church. But membership in a local church is the opposite. It's not automatic. It's not instant. It's not invisible. And it's not passive. Totally different. And yet, virtually every command that we have in the New Testament is given in the context of a local church, not the universal church. Love one another. Live in harmony with each other. Greet one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. All of those picture a setting of the local church not the universal. How are we to live those out 
in the local church. And that brought us to a perplexing question, at least currently perplexing. Who's part of this church? Who's part of Martinsdale Community Church? Pastor Jeremy said, well, maybe it's the voting roster. But we know, without a doubt, that there are some of you here that are members of this church that aren't on the voting roster. So it can't be the voting roster. Maybe it's the mailboxes or the name tags. But we know, without a doubt, that there are people with name tags and people with mailboxes that are not members of this church because we haven't seen them for a year and we don't know where they are. (laughs) They're not members. They aren't. So it can't be the mailboxes. So while the New Testament gives us a lot of information about membership and it shows us that membership is the norm, it's the typical condition of a faithful believer, it doesn't really provide a lot of details on how that is to be accomplished. So the elders are proposing the development of a new list, a membership list, that simply identifies who the members of Martinsdale Community Church are. That's it. Separate from the voting roster. doesn't have anything to do with church governance. It's simply a list to identify personally who is this church. Who is it? And so, seeing the need for this list, we moved in week two to look at how critical that list is, how critical membership is for our interaction with one another. We saw that God has designed the Christian life as being part of a local body of believers and that we have special obligations to those that are in our body. Those obligations aren't to the exclusion of other believers who aren't in this body, but it is in priority over other believers. And if we don't know who the members of this church are, how will we know how to focus, limit, and prioritize our lives? If your command was to pray for one another, and what God meant was every believer in the world, good night. You couldn't do it, not even close. We have a hard enough time just praying for the people in this room. But surely if we don't limit it, we will be burdened beyond belief. Then last week, we looked at the leader's responsibilities to the flock. What are the leader's responsibilities to the flock? And we saw that biblically, the elders are viewed as shepherds. Shepherds. And their responsibility is to care for and to feed and to protect the flock. And they will give an account to God for the souls of all those who have been placed in their care. They are not to domineer over the flock. They're not to lord their authority over the flock, but they are to set an example so that the flock can look to them and follow. But how can shepherds shepherd if they don't know which sheep are theirs? How will the shepherds, the elders, be able to care for, protect, nurture the flock if we don't even know who's in it. And this morning, we're going to look at the responsibilities of the flock to its leaders. I'm given this task. (laughs) 
And I just want to be upfront, straightforward. I'm going to tell you two things. You need to honor and obey your leaders. That's my job this morning, is to tell you to honor and obey your leaders. But the good news is, I'm not doing that because it's my opinion. And I'm not doing it for my good. I'm doing it for yours. It's God's command, not mine, that you ought to obey and honor your leaders. And it's not just for the benefit of the leaders. It's ultimately for the benefit of your own souls. And I know that's going to be challenging. That's going to be hard. But I trust that by the end, you'll see that this really is what God says. And it really is for your benefit and not just for our ease. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Hebrews 13, verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, when you look at that, it's very straightforward. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls. And yet, how many times have you heard that taught and explained in a church? It's not very common. It's not very typical. And there's generally two ways that people deal with this verse. The first is they just ignore it. That's, that's the, probably the most common one in America. Just ignore it. And that's very convenient for both the flock and the leaders. Because if you ignore this verse, then guess what? The leaders think they don't have to give an account for your souls. Sweet. That makes my job easy. I don't have to give an account. I don't really have to watch over anything. And it's obviously convenient for the flock because they get to do whatever they want. Now, there's a reason God uses sheep and shepherds in a flock as an illustration of who we are and what is going on. Sheep can't take care of themselves. You don't run into many wild sheep. Why not? They're quickly eaten. They're quickly eaten. And that's if they even survive because they're notoriously bad at providing for themselves. They are. And the, the shepherd, the idea of a shepherd is someone who cares for and protects and provides for the sheep. But who is the shepherd serving? For whose benefit does he do his job? It is ultimately for the sheep. It is to take care of them, to protect them, to provide them. And as Al read last week, when Jesus was talking about himself as the shepherd, he said, any other shepherd, when the wolf comes, says, go ahead, take the sheep. It's not worth my skin. But the shepherd who loves his sheep will lay down his life for the sheep. And that's the picture of a true shepherd. Now, before we look at these specific commands to honor and obey your leaders, I want to, to just show you from these passages that God really does care for you through these things. In Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. That's straightforward. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. 
So at the beginning, they are keeping watch over your souls. God's care, God's design is to protect your souls. That's, that's A. He is protecting your souls. God's ultimate goal, His ultimate purpose is not just for you to live a happy life here and now. God's design ultimately is for the thriving, the growth of your soul so that when you come face to face with Him one day, you will stand faultless before the throne. That is His goal. And that is what He wants for you, is to protect your soul. Second, God also cares for the flock, B, by building you up. He's not only protecting your souls, He's building you up. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 8 says this, Paul speaking, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not destroying you, I will not be ashamed. Now you may have missed the significance of that. First he says, If I boast a little too much of our authority... This is great news for me. Paul talked about his own authority. That's great news for me because that's what I have to do right now. Paul is talking about his own authority, but listen, why isn't he embarrassed about it? Why isn't he ashamed of it? The Lord gave for what purpose? Why did Paul have authority as an apostle? For building you that's why God gave Paul authority. That's why God has set up leaders in the church. Not for destroying you, but to build you up. And third, God is concerned with your benefit. He's concerned with your benefit. Back in Hebrews 13, 17, at the end he says, Let them do this with joy, and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage or benefit to you. It won't help you. So what does God want for you? He wants what is good. He wants your advantage. He wants your benefit. And He's not just talking about physical wealth or prosperity. In fact, He promises the opposite. You will suffer persecution. Then what benefit is He talking about? The benefit of your souls. He cares for you. He's building you up. He's concerned with your benefit. God cares for you. And I want you to hear that in the context of what comes next. God's charge to the flock, which is very challenging and very difficult in this day and age to hear. It doesn't come in a vacuum. There's a reason that He's giving this command. And it's because He cares for you. Now turn over to 1 Thessalonians 5. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, and Paul's closing in his letter to the Thessalonians, he says something very interesting, and it looks to be out of nowhere. It does not seem to be a major topic in the book, but he ends in verse 12, he starts his closing paragraph, 
We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. So this is his charge. Now, there's no reference to, actually, there's no mention of leaders or elders explicitly. But listen to how he describes them. Respect those who work among you and are over you. Well, being over someone is the same idea as leading. Leading. In fact, it's, it's related to the word we get or use overseer, which is an, another word for an elder. An elder, a bishop, uh, an overseer, those are all synonymous. They're talking about the same function or position. And so Paul says, what do we do with those people? We honor them. We respect them. Now, that, that's what he says. We're, we'll explain a little more in that verse in a second. But let me step back for a second and ask, what does it mean to honor? Uh, this is probably one of the first verses you have your kids memorize. Honor your father and your mother. Or you may just skip to, to uh, the New Testament. Obey your parents. <laughs> but what does it mean to honor? What does it mean to honor? It means to think of and act towards someone as weighty, significant, or important. Weighty, significant, or important. And when Paul says, honor your father and your mother, he uses a Hebrew word that literally means or has to do with heaviness, weight. Now, we don't generally go around and call the people we like heavy or uh, thick or something like that. But the idea, the idea behind honor is to treat someone as massive, huge, important. And what I have to explain all the time in the youth group and to anyone, I guess it's really not limited to those under 18, but especially to those that are in the youth group is, it doesn't matter if they are weighty. It doesn't matter if they are significant. It doesn't matter if they're right or wrong. God's call is to treat them as if they were. So when you read the Old Testament and you see people honoring their parents, the most beneficial examples are those where their parents are not weighty and significant. Because what you and I would do by instinct is treat them with disdain. They're shameful or they're foolish. And when the children obey and honor them, what does it show you? Whoa. Something different is going on. Now, that's the same idea that Paul is using in 1 Thessalonians 5. What does it mean to honor? It means to treat someone or act towards someone as weighty, significant, and important. Look again at verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect or honor those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And that brings us to the question, why should I? Why should I honor my leaders? And he gives us several examples or reasons right here. Look at verse 13. And to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Because of their work. 
Honor them because the work they are doing is honorable. Honor them because what they are about is significant. They're in the ministry. Whose ministry is it? It's the Lord's ministry, isn't it? And so somebody who spends their time in the work of the Lord should receive what kind of treatment from us? Honor and respect because they're in the Lord's service. Do you remember the story of uh, Samuel? Before Samuel's born, his mother goes to the tabernacle, Hannah, and Hannah's there and she's pouring out her prayer to the Lord and she's weeping and foolish Eli looks on. In this, he was, he was uh, literally heavy, which comes to play later on in the book. But he's sitting there looking at her, and he's such a fool. He's, he thinks she's drunk because she's sitting there praying in the temple, weeping, and she's praying silently. And the knucklehead thinks that she's drunk because of that. And he goes to rebuke her and say, what are you doing in here? Get out of here, you drunken woman. And here is one of the most righteous people in the land, and Eli's rebuking her. But when Hannah responds, she doesn't rebuke him. She doesn't get angry. She just says, oh no, my Lord, I, I am just praying. I, my heart is so heavy, I'm speaking silently. He, she responds to him because of his work, because of who he is, she responds to him with honor, even though in that instance, what he did was almost shameful. There's a second reason to honor your leaders, and it's because of their position. He doesn't name it here, but look in verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. And the way that he phrases this indicates that this is not just something they did once. It's not the one who honored or the one who uh, labored or the one who was over you or the one who did admonish you. It has the idea of what they are doing regularly. And so they're in a position of work, a position of laboring, a position of oversight, and a position of admonition. And later on, we will also read that it is God who is the one who has put them in this position. And because of that, we can show them respect, show them honor, regardless of how wonderful they are or aren't. How can I honor my leaders? Number three, how can I honor them? First, uh, turn, turn back to Hebrews 13, but not 17 this time. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Hebrews 13, verse 7. How can I honor them? Look at verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. This, let's just look at this, and this is a simple way to honor your leaders. The Bible talks about many different ways of honoring them, but I just want to look at these three. Listen to them. Listen to your leaders. Listen to them. 
So that when they are speaking, give them your attention, hear what they have to say, treat what they say as significant. Even if you come to disagree with it, even if you don't see it completely, still treat it as if it were significant. Imagine perhaps if one of us is rambling that we are like your elderly grandmother that not everyone in the room can understand, but everyone in the room knows she's so important that you're not going to interrupt her anyway. So at the worst, you can treat us like that. Okay. Thank you. We love you, Grandma. You're just precious. And you don't say anything else. <laughs> Listen to your leaders, but also beyond that, seek their counsel. Seek their counsel. I, I, Jeremy and I have been talking about this, and I'm making sure that I'm not going too far, and he's making sure I'm going far enough. And he, he, he says to me, I, I think that besides God's word, the opinion of my elders is what matters to me most. Period. Is that how we think of our leaders? What he is saying is, how dare I make a life decision without talking to them? Would I act without consulting the, the Lord? Would I try to make a decision like I'm going to get married or I'm going to move or I'm going to get a new job or I'm going to pursue this career without seeking the Lord's advice? I think we'd agree that would be foolish. And there's a sense in which God will speak to you through your leaders. Seek their advice. Ask them. Now, a lot of times what you're going to hear is, well, I don't know. I don't have a word from the Lord for you that you need to go to this college or this is the man you need to marry. That, that's not how it works. But what we can do is help you think through the decision, help you make a godly and wise decision, and even show you, perhaps, that you have freedom to choose as you please. But include them in your decisions. Listen to them. Second, consider their lives. That is, think about their lives. As Al said last week, every one of them ought to be someone you can imitate and become more godly. So think about, consider their lives. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life. Look at what their godliness, look at what their knowledge has led to and consider that. But the great news is, it doesn't mean that all of you need to become a bunch of little Jeb Brewers or Jeremy Kidders or Daniel Moores. Because what he says to imitate is not their way of life, but their faith. See, imitate their faith. Because God has made every one of us different. God does not desire for all of us to be identical, to speak the same way, to look the same way, to act the same way. He has certain standards, but then he has this abundance of creativity and difference. And so what he says to do with your leaders is to imitate their faith. That means we don't all have to be the same. Imitate their faith. The way we look might be different, but the God in whom we trust is the same, and how we trust him is the same. And then second, 
obey your leaders. God has a charge to the flock. First, to honor, honor your leaders, and second, to obey them. Now, as we would view a grandmother that we don't quite understand, we might honor her, but not always do what she wants us to do. There's, there's, a, there's a way that we can treat somebody with honor without necessarily obeying them. But Hebrews 13, 17 makes it clear that's not the way that we view our leaders. Ultimately, we don't view our leaders as um, on, in honorable positions, but worthless. I hope if they were worthless, that they would not remain there long. So why should I obey my leaders? Why should I obey them? First, because God has appointed them as leaders. Turn over to Acts chapter 20. And, and I'll, I'll read uh, near this section last week. Acts chapter 20. He's talking to the Ephesian elders. And this is what he says in verse 28. Acts 20, verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which He obtained with His own blood. The number one reason that you should obey your leaders is because it is the Holy Spirit. It is God who has made them overseers. If we were self-appointed, if God had nothing to do with it, then there would be no need for obedience. But as it is, God has appointed them and called you to obey them. So obey them because God is the one who's behind this. And that's great news because it doesn't mean that they have to be perfect. It doesn't mean that they have to have everything together. It doesn't mean that they're so great you better obey them. Just obey them. But there's a second reason you should obey them. And that's because they're watching over your souls. We've read that in Hebrews 13, 17 several times now. They are watching over your souls. Now, what happens if you take your car into the mechanic and you say, you know, I, I, I think something's wrong with my, uh, my distributor. Will you take a look at my distributor? And so the mechanic gets in there, says, yeah, here, will you hold this wrench? Who do you think I am? Hold your own wrench, buddy. Uh, okay. And he sets the wrench down. And he starts working. He says, hey, will you turn the ignition real quick for I want to test something? He's like, you can't tell me what to do. You're a mechanic. Would we ever do that? When we, when we know that somebody is out to help us, aren't we very willing and eager to obey them? If we go into the mechanic and they ask us to hold a wrench while they're fixing our car, we're going to say, no problem. Sure. What else? Anything else I can do to help? Because you want the car fixed. And in the same way, God is saying, the elders, the leaders of the church are watching over your soul, so obey them. What they're after is your benefit. 
And who are you hurting when you decide to disobey them? Ultimately, you're hurting yourself. They're trying to fix the car, and you're not helping them. So obey them because they're watching over your souls. But more than this, as God appoints them and they're watching over their souls, whose work are they doing? Remember, remember uh, at the beginning, we looked at how God cares for the flock. And he says, he, we said he is protecting our souls. Through whom is he protecting our souls? Certainly the Holy Spirit. But beyond that, who is he using? He is using the elders. And so if you obey them, what are you helping accomplish their goal of protecting your soul? So the elders have been given a task by God. And whenever God gives a task, he also grants authority to carry out that task. God not only gives you a job, but he gives you the corresponding authority to complete that job. How frustrating would it be if your boss gave you a job and says, hey, I want you to get a log of everyone in the company, okay? And I want you to give me all the vacation hours that they've used. How many days have they used this year? How many days do they have remaining? And then I want you to highlight anyone who's gone over, okay? Simple task. So you go to do it. You log onto your computer and you try to open the, the uh, vacation file and it says access denied insufficient privileges and you want to hit the computer you go back to the boss and you say hey uh i i want to make this list for you but i don't have the authority that i need to do it and he says oh no problem i'll, I'll grant that to you he goes on his computer you go back you log in now you have the authority to open it when god gives you a task he will always give you the authority you need to complete it and so there's an issue of reciprocity. God gives to the elders authority for your good. And so you obey them because they are helping you. And as you obey them, he says, you will make their job joyful. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. So that we are serving one another. And the easier, the the the. Uh, better our commands are, the easy they are for you to obey, the easier they are for you to obey, the better you make our job, more joyful you make our job to do, and we are serving one another. God gives the authority that we need to do the job. That's always how it works with God. So understand that when God says the elders are watching over your souls, that means he's granting them a higher privilege, a higher authority in relation to your souls so that they must have that authority if they're to do their job well. And then third, why should I obey them? Because they will answer to God. This, I think, is the most freeing concept for you to understand. God will judge us. Because what happens is when I hear a command that I don't like, I'm tempted to say, nah, not going to do it. I disagree. I have a better way of doing it. I know what I should do. 
And when I choose to disobey, what I'm saying is, Lord, I know you're going to judge them, but I'm not really sure you're going to do a good enough job, so let me help. Let me help. If we really believed that God would judge the elders for your souls, then it would not be so burdensome to obey. Because you know that if we get something wrong, God will not miss it. He won't. He won't. Either in this life or after this life. He will bring us to account. He will make us see what we've missed. So obey them because we will answer to God. Two, and we'll be quick on this one. How should I obey my leaders? How? Um, 1 Peter 5, 5 says that the younger men are to obey. And if you look back in Hebrews 13, 17, he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. So let me just suggest it's not about the external conformity. It's not we want you to do certain things. What really matters is that you obey them with a submissive attitude. Obey them with a submissive attitude. How many times have you told your kids, please take out the trash, please empty the dishwasher, and they say something like, fine, and then they have a bad attitude all evening. Is that, is that what you wanted? <laughs> is that what you were after? You wanted them to do it cheerfully, to do it joyfully. And what happens is the more your children make you pay for the commands that you gave them, the worse their life is and the worse yours is. But if you obey them with a submissive attitude, it's pleasant. It's enjoyable for you and it's enjoyable for them. So obey them with a submissive attitude and then second, obey them with a recognition of their goal. Obey them with the recognition of their goal. We've already said they are watching over your souls. If you look at Ephesians 4, God said, uh, we're not going to read it right now, but God, God says he has placed in the church shepherds and teachers for the building up of the body. So that the job of the shepherds and teachers is to build all of the body up. Not themselves up, but the whole body up. So recognize that that's their goal. So that even if you may disagree a little bit with something that they say, it's not a big deal. You know what they're after, and you don't have to fight it. All right, now let's get to the question that you're all probably thinking. What are the limits? What are the limits to this obedience? Because I said earlier there were two types of responses to this verse. The one response is to just ignore it, which is typical. But we've all heard of churches with the other response, and that is that this verse is above every doorway in the church. Hebrews 13, 17. Obey your leaders. So that when you walk into the Pastor Jeremy's office, it says, obey your leaders. And when you walk out the door, it says, obey your leaders. We call those churches generally cults. Where, where the... <coughs> Where there's one guy who calls all the shots, he tells you who you can marry, he tells you what job you can have, he tells you what school you should go to, and it's always the one in town so that he can keep his thumb on you. 
That, that, th those are cult churches. And the question that you're probably thinking is, what is the limit to this? God says, obey your leaders, but what if they're like that? What if they're like that? Well, I, I'm going to try to answer that, but while we're looking at these limits, think about the elders you have here at MCC. Try not to think about every conceivable situation because there's some real clear application here and you don't want to miss that because of something that's going on in another place. In Acts 20, verse 30, Paul says, From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now, that's two verses after he says, The Holy Spirit appointed you overseers in the church. And two verses later, he says, From among you elders will arise some who seek to lead away and speak twisted things. Paul knows that there will be elders that are not good. He knows that. God knows that. God knows the sinfulness of every one of the elders. We are not infallible. We are not inerrant. He knows that sometimes we'll make mistakes. And worse, sometimes we will be corrupt. But he knew that when he said, obey your leaders. He does not hinge obedience upon their perfection. He knows that they're frail. But what are the limits? What are the limits? Children are called to obey their sinful, imperfect parents, aren't they? Wives are called to submit to their sinful, imperfect husbands. Citizens are called to obey their sinful, imperfect governments. And the church is called to obey its sinful and imperfect leaders. But there are limits. There are. Now, before we talk about these limits, let me just say, please don't succumb to the temptation to focus on the limits. Because what you're going to find is, if you think of all the exceptions to this rule, and you go away from here with a great big list of exceptions, and your life is about the exceptions, this rule, you'll never submit. You'll never have a humble attitude because what you're going to do is filter everything through your list. And if the exception isn't on your list, then maybe you'll be forced to obey them. But you've got a list. And if that's the attitude, guess what? You can't obey. It's too late because none of us want that kind of obedience. We want a submissive obedience. And the Lord knows what is best. He knows what he's doing when he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. He knows. And think about this. God wants to bless you more than you want to be blessed. Think about that. God is more after your spiritual blessing than you are. So when he says to do this, he doesn't say it to hurt you. He says it to bless you. Trust in him. Trust him. He knows what he's doing. And the real poison of this temptation to focus on the exceptions is we're, we remain autonomous. 
we're independent because we've got our list of exceptions. All right, so let's consider the limits. Number one, obedience should never be sinful. Obedience should never be sinful. If ever the elders or your parents or your husband or the government tells you to sin, say no. That is divine disobedience. Okay? Is that clear? Is that good news? If we ever tell you to sin, tell us to take a hike. Except do it respectfully. <laughs> Listen to Daniel chapter 3, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even in their denial, we're not doing it. You can throw us in the fiery furnace three different times. O Nebuchadnezzar, O king, O king. And Daniel, when he responds, O king, live forever. And then he says, no, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> so obedience should never be sinful. And if we ever call you to something that's sinful, don't do it. Second, obedience is open to biblical confrontation. Obedience is open to biblical confrontation. What I mean is this. You have a privilege, a purifying privilege to confront. So that if ever any elder gives a command that you believe is off the mark, that you believe is sinful, you may talk to them about it. It is not a, uh, a dictatorship. It is not like the government that passes a law. You don't even know who passed it. You don't know who to talk to if you don't like it. You just have to do it. That's not how the church runs. You get to talk to them. Let me give you an example, and we'll, we'll close here in a minute. Imagine Dave Stringer gets a call from one of our elders, Jason Grimes. Jason's here, finally, when I'm speaking, so I get to use him as an example. And Jason says, hey, Dave, I'm planning to go fishing over at Lake Aquabi Friday, but uh, something's wrong with my truck. It's not working. So uh, drop your truck off at my house Thursday night so I can go fishing. <laughs> and, and Dave says, uh, I'm happy to lend you my truck, but I don't get off work until midnight Thursday, and Renee's going to be sleeping, so I'm not sure how I'm going to get the truck there. And I need it Friday for work. Jason, having recently read Hebrews 13, 17, <laughs> says, well, I'm sure you'll figure it out since you know God commands you to obey your leaders. See you Thursday. Click. Now, we all know Jason would never do that. And... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but imagine that that's what happens. How would you respond if you got a command like that that you, have, you, you don't see in any way how it could possibly be a righteous command? It seems totally self-serving. How could you respond? I want to imagine just two 
good responses from Dave. Okay? First, in true humility, Dave recognizes that God's the one who gave him the truck. He says, Lord, this truck doesn't belong to me. I would never have it if it wasn't for you. And I know how hard Jason works. I know how many late nights he's put in in the past year, how many weekends he's sacrificed to leading the church. And he remembers 1 Thessalonians 5.13, to esteem your leaders very highly in love because of their work. And Dave says, Lord, I want, I want to recognize, I want to respect and honor Jason for the work. So he checks the th- forecast Thursday night. It's going to be a clear night. He calls a friend at work, gets a ride for Friday. And on Thursday night, he drops the truck off. He walks the mile and a half to his house. And he gets picked up by his uh, co-worker in the morning. Can you imagine that response? Would, would anyone like that to be the first response that came into their heart? I, I would. Wouldn't we all agree that that response from Dave would be characterized as humble and not proud? And that guarantees God's grace. God says he opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Which means Dave is guaranteed God's grace. He is no, in no way has Dave sinned by obeying that command. It's not wrong to give your car to your neighbor. It's not wrong to walk a mile and a half to help somebody. He's done nothing wrong. He's guaranteed God's grace. And nobody would question that he has obeyed his leaders. That I would describe as godly and Christ-like submission. Incredibly so. Because just like Jesus going to the cross, what Dave went through to do that was very unpleasant for himself. But that wasn't his concern. Now, that is an ideal response that would be somewhat unexpected, breathtaking to witness I wish I could have that same response to my leaders all the time. Let's consider a second response that's also valid. He gets off the phone with Jason, but he starts thinking. He's troubled in his spirit, and he says, you know, Jason's never spoken to me like that before. He was abrupt, maybe even a little harsh. He didn't give me any explanation except for wanting to go on a fishing trip. I don't get it. I know him. He's my brother-in-law for crying out loud. He's never done anything like this. Maybe he has a good reason, but I can't think of it. So he decides to call Jason back. And he says, hey, Jason, this is Dave. Uh, Say, I was thinking about what you asked, and I'm pretty sure I I can work things out to get you the truck, but would you help me? I'm having a hard time understanding why you're giving this command. Jason's response, we could play that out in several different ways, but Dave would have total, a total right to ask that question. Would you help me understand why you're giving this command? And, and maybe Jason forgot to tell him that it was actually a missions trip. He, he had 10 of his neighbors together that were going on the boat fishing, and that's what it was about. Dave's like, he's been talking to him about witnessing, and he knew Dave would want to be involved in that. Who knows? But Dave has every right to say, will you help me understand 
Now, we'll, we'll, we'll stop there. I'm not going to play that all out. But in the end of, at the end of the day, if you believe what the elders are calling you to do or the way the elders are calling you to do something is sinful, you have every right to go and talk to them. Matthew 18 applies to the elders. It applies to the elders. Now, uh, third, third limitation. Remember that God is the one that they have to answer to. God's the one that will, they will have to give an account to. I want you to know that the elders at Martinsdale Community Church are very slow at giving commands. Very slow. They don't take them lightly. They recognize that it's God that they'll answer to, and they don't give commands flippantly. So when a command is given, take it seriously. It may not be perfect, but it won't be flippant. There are times when someone has to make a call also. It's not a right or wrong decision, but the, a decision has to be made. And sometimes they've got to make it. Uh, I think of Acts 15. The apostles and all the elders of Jerusalem are together. And you know what it says at the end of it? It seemed good to them. It seemed good to them to send the apostles, Paul and Barnabas, to the churches. That, that's what they came up with, was it seemed good to them. And that's similar to what we're saying regarding this membership list. It seems good to us. It seems, it's not a right or wrong. It's not the only way to do it. It seems good to us. And remember, we'll give an account to God. And then lastly, remember that an, an elder is subject to the elders. So that if ever you are given a command by an elder... That command and that elder are subject to the plurality of elders. In fact, I said earlier, with a special assignment comes a special authority and comes a special accountability. It's only the elders in 1 Timothy 5.20 that it says, anyone who persists in sin, rebuke in the presence of all. So I can tell you, I know that if I'm going to get rebuked in the presence of all of you for giving a bad command, I'm going to think twice before I give a command. But that's something that we are subject to. We have a high accountability. Jeremy does not have a higher authority than Jeff Zimmerman. Al doesn't have a higher authority than Jason. Jeb, as our chairman, doesn't have higher authority than Greg Sweet. We are all elders, we share the authority, and every one of us is subject to the plurality. That means that there is no Lone Ranger elder. There isn't the despot. There isn't the one-man show who makes all the decisions. So that if you have a disagreement or a discussion with an elder and you're unclear about what's being said, you can always ask, what do the rest of the elders think? Can, can I get their wisdom too? You have that freedom. That's the, the limit. I want to finish by reading one verse from 2 Corinthians. Will you turn there? I think you're going to want to underline this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want this to be the picture that's left in your mind. Verse 24. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you, for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Not that we lord it over your faith, 
but we work with you for your joy. That's what we want is your joy in the Lord. That's why we are working. That's the end that we have in mind. And I hope that will free you to have a submissive attitude. Not because we're always right, but because the Lord has appointed us and we want your good in the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given shepherds to the church, that you have not left us as sheep without a shepherd, but you have given us guidance. I pray, Lord, that you would increase the love that the shepherds have for the sheep, that we would be examples for the flock, and that whatever we lead in, we would seek you in first, that it would never be flippant, but that it would be from you. We pray that you would give us grace to love one another, to serve and to give ourselves for the sake of others as Christ has done for his church and for his sheep. We pray that we would do this so that he might be glorified in the church. In Christ's name, amen. You're dismissed.